is Australia. This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of federal politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to another edition of News from the Trough, the Batuta Advocates political podcast series where we break down what has been happening in the world of politics, a.k.a. the Trough. The snouts are almost back in. Parliament resumes next week, but there has still been plenty going on in the lead up. There's lots of bickering, jostling for position, all that sort of stuff happening as they get ready to descend on Canberra. My name is Wendell Hussey, and once again, our political correspondent, Leslie Burley, is phoning back in to help give us a bit of an update in what has been happening in the world of politics. Leslie, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Happy to be here, and yeah, happy to deliver some more news from the trough. Now, this week, we're going to talk about what's happening with the government's emissions reduction policy. We're going to talk about the COVID situation and a little bit from the Pacific Island Forum as well, which was last week, but we're going to get into it with our clanger or banger. And I'm very curious to know whether you think this quote, as part of a broader speech yesterday from Scott Morrison, is a clanger or a banger, Les. Here it is. God's kingdom will come. It is in his hands. We trust in him. We don't trust in governments. We don't trust in the United Nations, thank goodness. Do you believe if you lose an election that God still loves you and has a plan for you? I do, because I still believe in miracles. (laughs) What do you reckon? Look, I've got to say it's an absolute clangor. You know, the guts for the bloke to come out and say that people don't trust government and we shouldn't trust government and we can't trust the UN when he literally was the prime minister and a senior minister for years and years and years. And now as soon as he's out of the job, He's like, nah, those guys can't be trusted. To quote, I'd say, some conservative regional gentlemen, how's the fucking nerve on him? How (laughs) is the nerve on him? After spending the better part of the last probably two decades of his life doing everything he can to be the leader of the government, to then come out and say that he doesn't trust in governments is really sensational stuff. This was at Margaret Court's church over in Perth. There was lots of stuff said in there, which was really good. He also, uh, as you heard, mentioned that he didn't trust the United Nations. I, I love, I love references to the United Nations. It really, it seems like he might be spending a bit more time with Tim Stewart, his mate from QAnon, who loves that sort of stuff as well. Because the United Nations, it's this one that really gets a lot of conspiracy theorists going. It gets a lot of people mm. wound up that there's some overarching global agenda. Cabal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The United Nations. Realistically, when you look at it, they're one of the most powerless bodies in the world. Like, the United <laughs> Nations goes, please don't invade this country. Everyone goes, okay, not listening. And then they just go and do it anyway. So, like, I don't know what 
power they think the United Nations has. Maybe maybe they appear to be powerless to the average person and behind closed doors they're pulling off some powerful, powerful agenda. But loved a little reference from Scott Morrison to the United Nations there. I think the thing about it, Les, is he actually hasn't left Parliament. Like, he's still the member for I Cook. I was just about to say he is still working in the government. He's in opposition, but he's still earning a government paycheck. Yeah. What does he want? Yeah, it's 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 really good. It's, he hasn't walked away and been like, you know what, from the inside this is all fucked. He's still in there yeah. and he doesn't look like he's going anywhere anytime soon because, as he said, do you believe if you lose an election that God still loves you and has a plan for you? I do because I still believe in miracles. He famously said, I've always believed in miracles after his first election victory. Are we going to see a second coming of Scotty? Is Scotty planning on biding a little bit of time on the back bench? And then we are going to see another miracle from the great man uh, in a couple of years' time in the next election. The only way we can find out is if we survive the climate wars in the meantime. Yes. So yeah, we'll yeah. See. I'm sure there will be lots more sound bites coming out of that 50-minute speech. Maybe an appearance at Israel Folau's church next. I mean, he could get up there if he's, he's in the arena of visiting controversial Christians' church. Um, of course, Margaret Court has said some very hectic things like tennis is full of lesbians. And she also said recently that a lot of the players in Wimbledon were on the pathway to hell. So um, Yeah, I mean, half of her statement mm. is true, is that tennis is full of lesbians. But is that a problem? I don't think so. so. <laughs> yeah, well, look. Anyone I, who's seen the L word would know that tennis is full of lesbians, but yeah. that's okay. Yeah, that's <laughs> something that really gets Margaret Court's goat, though, I think. Um, you and her might not see eye to eye on that one, Les, I reckon. No. Now, you mentioned the climate wars. It's going to be something that's going to dominate this next parliamentary term, and they're getting back into it on Wednesday. Tanya Plibersek is about, just before I record this, she's about to go out and give an address to the National Press Club. She's the new environment minister, so we'll see what she says out of that. It'll probably be... Everything was the Liberal government's fault. We're working on it. We can't be held to ransom by the Greens. This is what we're doing. Because they've laid out a plan for what is going to happen over the next little bit. We're going to touch on what exactly they're promising. But this morning, Plibersek has revealed that the government, previous government that is, hid a shocking document outlining the state of the environment. Um, This is a report that is months overdue. It was given to the previous government at the end of last year. It should have been released months ago. The fact that it was kept secret before the last election tells you a lot about the contents of the report. Which is a weird one. I wonder why the Morrison government would have hid this report into the state of the environment just before the election where they were promising not to do anything really about climate change and the state of the environment. Yeah, it's kind of like a child hiding Mm. all of the vegetables under the rest of the food that the parent is going to find later anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something smushed into the pockets of a child. It's not like Mm. they've fed it to the dog under the table or they've filled their mouth up and quickly snuck out and spat it in the toilet. Like, they've just put it somewhere. Like, they've sat it underneath the table and the parents are going to see it. But hopefully something's happened there where you've handed them a report card where you've done really well and then they find the hidden vegetables. But that hasn't happened. So now Plibersex and the Labor Party government have now revealed that, yeah, there's this shocking report. Climate change, mining, pollution, invasive species, habitat loss are all outlined in this five-yearly report. Not good. 
lots of very bad stuff in there. Uh, Tanya Plibersek has, of course, blamed the previous government. This report saying that something needs to be done urgently. We're getting to the point of no return, which, I mean, we've been hearing about this stuff, I feel like, for the last five to ten years. Les, what do you reckon? Look, the biggest change in this report that I was trying to understand was that it's no longer, oh, these are the changes we're going to see in the climate. It's we now have evidence of Mm. climate change destroying Australia. So it's literally like the impacts are happening now for the first time in this five-year report. And so that's the big shift where it's like we're actually living it. Mm. It's not a future thing that's going to happen. And so it's really hard to kind of, you know, muster up energy around this when we've been hearing it for so long. But that is the key difference. Yes. Yeah, it will be interesting to see because, as you said, we've been hearing these reports coming out every now and then. Is this the time that the nation cares about the southern speckled frog that's potentially going to be extinct in the next couple of years? There's got to be some points that the government needs to find out of this to hammer home, to drive change. We're going to quickly talk about the Pacific Island Forum, which happened last week. At that forum, the Pacific leaders agreed that they want to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees and they put a heap of pressure on Australia. Palau and Fiji explicitly called out the Labor government saying that we're falling short of that target because we're going for 43%. They want at least 50% by 2030. There was a climate emergency declared and it was interesting. Albanese outlined that the countries in the Pacific are facing an immediate threat to their security and well-being, referencing quite frequently the threat of China. But it's also like, yeah, yeah, that is a threat, but also climate change, quite a big existential threat to these Pacific leaders, which is what they were trying to drill home to the Labor Party government that you need to be doing something about that as well. So now we head to Parliament. There's a bit of back and forth between the Labor government, the Greens and the crossbench. Chris Bowen, the climate change and energy minister, confirmed on RN Breakfast yesterday that he's invited MPs and senators to suggest amendments ahead of next week's parliamentary sitting. The interesting thing is he told ABC's RN Patricia Carvelis that we would not entertain amendments which undermine our mandate or breach our election promise, but if they are sensible suggestions, we'll consider it in good faith. He kept saying sensible and good faith, but also said they're not moving on the 43% target and they're still going to allow coal and gas projects. So any idea what the sensible amendments might be, Les? I think sensible is a bit of a dog whistle for we're not getting rid of our minds. You yeah. know, they, they, Labor can't afford to lose the working class vote. And mm. in their eyes, that is the vote of miners and farmers and people who work at energy farms. So, mm. you know, it's going to be interesting to see actually how it plays out, whether they're going to play nice with the Greens and mm. also the independents, you know, that a huge section of the crossbench is not necessarily on side with Labor on this. So they're going to have to find some way to negotiate with these people, especially because Labor hasn't got a majority in the Senate. Mm. And starting off negotiation by cutting all of the crossbench staffers, not a great move. Will be interesting to see if this legislation gets put forward. If the independents go, sorry, didn't have enough time to analyse it because you cut all of our staff, we're not voting for it. We'll keep an eye on that one. One thing that has happened is Mr Bowen has said that he's open to a so-called ratchet mechanism, not a Megan the Stallion, sassy, boozy ratchet kind of mechanism, a mechanism which would allow the floor of 43% reductions by 2030 to be lifted without legislation, so without basically passing laws to say we're lifting it. It would just allow it to be lifted in future. 
an interesting one. He says it's a floor, not a ceiling. They were arguing over floors and ceilings and all this sort of shit, which, you know, once again proves why people tune out from this stuff. So it'll be interesting to see whether that comes in and whether they allow that to be lifted. Susan Lay, Deputy Leader of the Opposition, has said, I'm comfortable with our position, which is not really doing much. Um, but I accept over the next few years, as we got the results of the campaign review and an opportunity to talk to people, we will have the opportunity to introduce new policy. Real maybe response to coming to a party on Facebook. Let's see who's attending. Then we might attend. If nobody's going, we're just going to stick to our same policy and keep it to that. So that's where we're at. There are going to be lots of lots of fighting over the next couple of weeks. But, Les, the next big topic that has been dominating the news cycle has been the return of the spicy cough in a big, big way. That's it. It's been dominating the news cycle. It's been living rent-free in our minds for two mm. and a half years now. But COVID has come back for a killer return season. No one asked for it, but here it is. Is anyone surprised? Not really. Mm. Is everyone over it? Absolutely. And that's the problem. So after six months of scrapping mask mandates and promising no more lockdowns and going, quote unquote, back to normal, state and federal governments are now having to find new and creative and fun ways to remind us that this illness sucks. Mm. So cases are peaking like they haven't before. So some are predicting that they're going to surpass the wave we had in January. And meanwhile, influenza has been rebooted in Australia after two years of border closures. It's back. It's back. It's back. And it's back with a vengeance, some may say, which is leading to hospitals becoming very full. Ambulance ramping is increasing. Fatigue and staff is higher than ever. And some states have reported to have had COVID Mm. cases, you know, like COVID patients mixed in with regular patients and immunocompromised patients because it's just everywhere. And some are tackling the issue by setting up tent wards outside and recruiting additional staff. So basically all the states are kind of ramping up for Mm. a pretty horrific time. And that has led to Albanese calling an emergency cabinet meeting over the weekend in the middle of the Pacific Forum And basically getting all the premiers together to go, holy shit, what do we do now? Because we've kind of put ourselves in a corner saying we're back to normal. Mm. And now it's probably actually going to be the worst that we've ever seen it. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting contrast to less than 12 months ago where people were tuning in, you know, daily to check the press conferences from Palaszczuk, Marshall, McGowan, all these different state premiers that we hadn't previously paid too much attention to. You know, so many people were making sure they were across the cases every single day, the outbreaks, where they are, close contacts, et cetera, et cetera. And now it's to the point where there's, you know, 45, 50,000 cases a day across the nation. And a lot of people who obviously are in the position to be able to shrug are shrugging. A lot of people who aren't in the position to be able to shrug are understandably freaking the fuck out. Elective surgeries are potentially going to be off the cards soon. All sorts of stuff is going to be happening. As you said, there's tent wards outside of hospitals and it's going to be the worst we have ever seen. This all coincides as well with different payments coming to an end and different measures coming to an end. So, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on the government, Les. Yeah, so the COVID leaf payment that had been created by Morrison's government was due to end and it did end. And Albanese actually supported that. He followed through with that end date because the budget, you know, needed all the cash it can get. However, Mm. a couple of days ago after this cabinet meeting, Albanese and Treasurer Jim Chalmers, after a mounting pressure from premiers and the unions and lots of people had to kind of backflip on that. And they're bringing back the leave 
payment because there are simply too many people getting COVID and not being able to work. Mm. And that is probably the pressure point that we haven't seen before in Australia. It's that not it's not necessarily that you're going to die from COVID. It's that so many people are going to have it or the flu that schools are going to shut down, hospitals are going to be too full, therefore people will die of other things. Yep. So that's the pressure point. The other thing that they have spoken about is that all of the premiers and the Prime Minister Albanese have come out to say that they strongly encourage masks. So they haven't brought in any mask mandates, but it really does feel like they're potentially buttering us up Mm. for mask mandates to happen. And a lot of people, a lot of public figures, people from hospitals, from schools have been on the news in the last week calling for mask mandates to come back because they're really worried about what's going to happen to their workforce if we don't. Yeah, things like that are being strongly pushed and there are other things, whispers about certain bits and pieces of lockdowns and different implementations coming back in, which you feel like you can't see it happening. But as you said, things are getting so bad that understandably the health system is freaking the fuck out. Mm. They are just overwhelmed at the moment. And so Albo has brought back that paid pandemic leave. It was interesting comments actually, because he initially refused to bring it back saying that, oh, people can work from home, et cetera, et cetera, which is an interesting comment from the leader of the Labor Party, aka the party that always claims to be representing the working class. You know, yeah. how do you stack shelves from home if you're a casual? How do you clean office buildings from home if you're a casual? How do you do all that sort of stuff if you physically can't sit at home on a computer? Yeah, and I'm on one hand, people say work from home, and on the other hand, they're like, don't close the schools. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, how are the teachers yeah. going to work from home and run a school at the same time? Yeah. You know, so it just doesn't stack up. A lot of mixed messaging going on. Just quickly, did want to touch on the Pacific Island Forum last week. Dominated the news cycle there for a couple of days. Uh, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and Foreign Minister Penny Wong attended the forum where Australia, yet again, was told to do a fuckload more about the environment. That seemed to be the big theme. Australia and America, who weren't there, but they were making noise about it with Australia as well, were really making a point about security, talking about China shoring up our relationship with our Pacific neighbours. And a lot of our Pacific neighbours, on the other hand, were saying, yep, understood, got all that, we're happy to work with you, but also really need you to do something about climate change because that's one of the biggest threats to us. Uh, I know you're worried about China, but we are very fucking worried about climate change, so can you do something about that? Vanuatu had an interesting one, Les? Yeah, so Vanuatu have been campaigning for the International Court of Justice to consider whether inaction or climate change should be considered a breach of human rights, and so Mm. that was a key topic at the forum. And the other key topic was, as you mentioned earlier, the reduction targets and Australia's, you know, lack of commitment to 50% emissions. There was also discussion around Australia's campaigning to hold the UN Climate Conference Mm. in 2024. And they didn't officially endorse it. They kind of went, yep, you keep doing that good work hope you get it but there wasn't an official Mm. endorsement and that might be a reflection of some of this tension around the different emission reduction targets as well yeah yeah as we mentioned there before palau and fiji have hit out that the albanese government is not doing enough and hitting out at them for not committing to at least 50 percent emission reduction by 2030 there were some nice moments leaders gathered around and watched the state of origin which was one of the greatest state of origins in recent memory sensational win 
win by Queensland, obviously devastating for Anthony Albanese as a cockroach. But unfortunately, his state doesn't get state of origin football. So that's understandably why that happened. But in the end of it all, Albanese declared the event friendly and productive, stating that we are family when it comes to the Pacific. And there was a good spirit of cooperation and dialogue speaking about a common interest, Les. Yeah, and let's hope that this family love continues when Labor continues to dodge a 50% reduction target by Might be some more traditional family bickering in the group chat there with a bit of PASAG yeah. uh, fighting, yeah. so we'll see. One other thing that I wanted to just quickly note before we wrap up the show in the next couple of minutes was Papua New Guinea could be getting the 18th NRL team. Anthony Albanese has put his support behind it, which is very, very exciting. They've had, and they do have a Q Cup team, the Hunters, who actually won, I think, in 2017. Quite a good team. Um, The Kumuls, their international team, doing quite well. And obviously, Rugby League Mad Nation. Only nation in the world, I believe, that has Rugby League as a national sport. So, obviously, means a huge deal to them. So, Yeah, that was one big thing, one positive thing out of the Pacific Island Forum that um, Anthony Albanese came out and endorsed that idea. Yeah, look, it may mean that Albanese has to send his rabbitos on the field to do some of that climate diplomacy during an NRL match, but... I reckon it's a great thing. I Mm. think if it happens, the only bad thing that will happen is that the Hunters may not be in the Queensland League anymore because they're such a great team. But I think they've earned it and I'm all for it. I'm with Albo on this one. Yep, it would be good to see. He was there when he got South back into the comm all those years ago as a face of it. So bit of rugby league diplomacy. Let's hope he can get the PNG bid for an 18th team up and about. There's going to be more cashed up bids from Brisbane and potentially elsewhere in the country, but I think this would be the best thing. The fans would love it. Papua New Guinea obviously would love it. It would be a huge step. We'll get some more money into the game. Let's hope we can see that, and that will be a nice positive thing. As you said, good thing to come out of the Pacific Island Forum. So that's exciting. Keep an eye on how that unfolds. But that is all we got time for this week. We'll be back in a little while talking about all that's happened from the first week in Parliament. I'm sure there'll be lots going on, lots of negotiations, staffing cuts, climate change, all that sort of stuff, heaps to cover. But until next time, thanks very much, Les, and look forward to dissecting more of this as it happens over the next couple of weeks. Look forward to it. Wear a mask, especially if you're in the Canberra bubble. Yes, indeed. Talk soon. Bye-bye.